Hello, everyone. So awesome to be with you again today. In this week's episode, I wanted to touch on doing it natural. That's right. Let's talk about what if you wish or you want or you choose to go through menopause in the most natural way that you can. Certainly, we have talked a lot about the use of hormones and hormone therapy. There's plenty of different episodes pre-recorded on the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy, but today's episode, I want to talk about when, why, and how are some of the best ways to go about having a natural menopause. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. I am so excited to announce the sponsor for today's podcast, Rose Woman. Sensual health and pleasure should be a part of all the stages of a woman's life. An intimate skin requires the purest ingredients. Rosebud Woman makes intimate moisturizers, balms, lotions, and more for use alone or with a partner before, during, and after sex, exercise, waxing, or just for pleasure and self-care anytime. Their award-winning, OBGYN-approved, vegan, sustainably-made products have been featured in Vogue, Goop, Refinery29, Oprah, and others. Their products are available at rosewoman.com, that's R-O-S-E-W-O-M-A-N.com, or at spas and retailers nationwide. Thank you, Rose Woman, for sponsoring today's episode. All right, so here we are today discussing natural menopause. So what is natural menopause? I'm not really sure. I think certainly the cultural meaning of that is probably not using any type of prescription medications. Perhaps for some other women, it means not using any type of assistance, whether that's over-the-counter aid or etc. And so it is really a little bit of a term that means the most natural for you. And my overarching theme when I see women and when I treat menopause is there is no one kind of menopause and every person is unique, presents with a different set of priorities, a different set of symptoms, if any, a different set of health issues in their past. And so going about menopause in a natural way is certainly one way that you could go through menopause. So why do women do this naturally? Well, for some women, I'm just going to kind of say they didn't think there was any other choice. And that's partially why I have this show and why I discuss the safety of hormone therapy. So one is they went through it naturally and it wasn't really by design, just so happened that way. 
The next is that women don't have menopausal symptoms. And this is huge. This is kind of what I classify as a silent menopause because it's just that. There's really no other sign that you're menopausal except for the fact that your periods have stopped. Perhaps you've had a hot flash here or there. And certainly I don't get to see too many of these women in my office because, well, simply they just don't need to see me. But having a silent menopause doesn't mean that your body doesn't go through important physiologic changes. And so one of the reasons we're going to discuss natural menopause today is to do so in a way that's really mindful. All right, so what else is out there? Well, perhaps you have a contraindication to either hormone therapy or along those same lines, you will not accept the risks of hormone therapy and or the risks of any other types of medications. And therefore, you are going to choose to go through menopause in the most natural way that you can. So I'm here for all those groups of women to give you some of the key takeaways on that process. But I do just want to say that if you are really suffering, I also want you to think about the flip side of this, is that there are risks, serious risks to your health if your symptoms are really severe and you're not treating them. I have this conversation very commonly with my patients. A great example is a loss of sleep. There is significant data showing that the best or most appropriate amount of sleep is to get seven to nine hours of uninterrupted sleep. If you are getting less than that, say you're getting four or five or six hours because you're waking up with consistent hot flashes that your remedies are not necessarily helping with, you know, your lifestyle changes, you could effectively be reducing your overall lifespan. If you don't think about perhaps getting treatment with any of the available treatment options that are out there. Now, menopause is certainly natural, but my mentor once said this quote that pregnancy is natural and death are natural, but it doesn't mean that if you are suffering through those that we don't help you. And there are certainly options that are really safe and well studied. So that is just the caveat. I see a lot of people either on social media kind of feeling like they're on one side of the fence or the other. I'm going to do natural or I'm going to take medications, particularly hormone therapy or whatever else it may be if it's it's a non-hormonal medication. But certainly it's okay to straddle the fence. Certainly it doesn't mean that one side is right or wrong. One of the things I always teach when I'm giving menopause lectures to my trainees or to other physicians is this true or false question that your doctor should be for or against hormone therapy? The answer is neither. They should be knowledgeable on both aspects of that fence. All right, so as promised, let's talk about tips for a phenomenal natural menopause. The first thing that I inevitably always say to do is to journal and track. Because if you know your own body's rhythm, you know your own body's ways of acting out at you, you know your own triggers, and these are what I call data points. They're not perfect, but they're certainly really important personalized data points. 
So for example, I always say go grab a journal that you can handwrite in. Certainly you can do this electronically, but there's something nice about being able to open up a page of a month and sort of at a glance see perhaps when symptoms are worse or when symptoms are better or what certain triggers might be. For example, if you're having a fairly silent menopause, but you notice certain triggers cause sleeplessness or hot flashes, that can really help you either avoid those triggers or plan around them. A really common one is alcohol. Yep, alcohol can cause hot flashes, sometimes make sleep poor, and other things. But then you might know that feedback-wise, biofeedback-wise, you either want to remove the triggering event or if it's a celebration, you might want to plan for a slow or easy day the following day after. Other certain triggers tend to be spicy foods or extreme stress, but certainly you may have weather triggers or you know some other type of trigger that's going to cause some of these symptoms to occur. Knowing how your body fluctuates naturally is going to really help you. Not only do you want to track your symptoms, but you also want to make sure you track bleeding patterns. Specifically, if you're in late perimenopause, you want to know when periods are occurring. Even if you're menopausal, you know, you just want to jot down anytime you have any spotting or bleeding. You definitely want to tell your doctor if you have had a bleed when it has been 12 months of a no period. After that, we consider that bleeding postmenopausal bleeding. You always want to make sure that you are letting your doctors know that you've had that spotting or bleeding. One big reason for this is postcoital or after sex. If you have a cervical polyp or if you have vaginal atrophy, and so jot down if you were having intercourse as well. Your doctor definitely want to make sure that you don't have any type of uterine pathology, such as precancer or cancer, which could be causing the bleeding. But that is not the most common reason for postmenopausal bleeding. Those most common reasons are polyps and fibroids or just atrophy in general. So certainly journal and track, whether it's symptoms, your periods, and anything else that is important to you. Knowing your own body the best is something you should take amazing pride in. Also, you certainly can think about over-the-counter or lifestyle measures that can help you. There's certainly lots of amazing things. I have an Amazon link that I will link down below that you can go to because I have put some of my favorite products on that link. You don't have to use that link, but you can browse through in the suggested categories as well. Those types of things include cooling sheets for your bed, there's cooling mists and sprays, there's handheld devices that you can carry around with you. There are so many wonderful products that you can use to just enhance the quality of your life that are non-medicine, not medical. It's always good to dress in layers if you do get hot flashes so that you can take off a sweater and have something underneath. And certainly you can keep your house as cold as anyone else who's living in that house will let you, but this is particularly most beneficial at night when you are trying to sleep. You also want to make sure you have excellent sleep hygiene. I just did a podcast on that called Why Can't I Sleep? And I go over some of my most successful sleep hygiene tips in that episode. 
All right. See, you know, you're probably thinking like, okay, Dr. Hirsch, I, I sort of knew those things already. If you did, yes, I know. I just kind of have to go in line. So let's get down to what else, why else should you be listening to this podcast? What else is important about menopause? Well, there are a lot of physiologic changes that you can't feel. So certainly, especially when we talk about treatment and we talk about symptoms, those are obvious things that you can feel. The most common being hot flashes, night sweats, night awakening, mood changes, brain fog, vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy, pain with intercourse, etc. All those things that you can feel. But next... I'm going to go into a list of things that are affected drastically by the loss of your sex hormones, particularly estrogen, at menopause that do cause physiologic effects that you cannot feel. So it's important when you're going through menopause in the most natural way that you can or you want to, to think about these other effects. And we're going to talk about metabolics, your mood, the bones, your vagina, your sexual health, and your brain health. Certainly, it's also important to be thinking about these things if you are taking medications, particularly hormone therapy or non-hormone therapy. But again, we're kind of focusing on if you're going natural without any medications, what are the things that you want to think about? And now we're kind of getting into the things that you can't feel section. So let's talk about metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is a trifecta of three changes that can happen, particularly we're talking about two women postmenopausally, but anytime really, but where we see this the most is at menopause. And to me, it is not a coincidence that as we lose our endogenous estrogen, which has effects in every organ system in the body, that metabolic syndrome is also fairly common at that time. All right. Metabolic syndrome is three things. It is a change in your blood pressure or leading to hypertension. It is a change in your cholesterol or leading to dyslipidemia. Or it is a change in your insulin resistance leading to prediabetes or diabetes. And then wrapping up all of that is mid-abdominal weight gain. That's really the trifecta of metabolic syndrome. You don't need all three of those high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or diabetes or prediabetes, but certainly those are the things that we compromise metabolic syndrome that we think about for our patients as they age, as they go through menopause. When we lose our endogenous estrogen, it certainly has an effect on the way we uh, gain weight. And it does not mean that you are bound and doomed and determined and destined to gain weight. Certainly does not. And I have a great podcast episode on that, on weight at menopause with my good friend, Kim Schlag. You can scroll down past episodes for that. But certainly estrogen does play a role. And we lose that metabolism a little bit when we lose our estrogen. Studies show that even anywhere from 15 to 25% of a slowdown in our metabolism can be seen, which does mean even if you are eating the same or intaking the same calories and exercising the same, that you could potentially still gain weight. So one thing to think about as you're going through menopause naturally is to just keep a really good check on your blood pressure, your weight, your A1C level which is going to determine if you have prediabetes or diabetes, and your cholesterol levels. Those things are extremely important. 
I do want to point out one piece of evidence that we have that really demonstrates to me how important estrogen is in our metabolism. We know that in the Women's Health Study, or the WHI, which I talk about frequently on this podcast, showed that for women who took estrogen alone, who had a hysterectomy, or the estrogen plus progesterone, that those women who took either of those combinations had less progression to the diagnosis of diabetes than the women who took the placebo. Now, that doesn't mean that we could directly say, aha, it prevented diabetes. There's also some really good Kaiser data as well, which is a large data suppository collection um, from a certain medical company, Kaiser, showing that women who take hormones do have less progression to the diagnosis of diabetes. What it means to me is that there is a direct cause for a change in our insulin resistance, how resistant or sensitive we are to sugar, essentially. And we don't yet know what it is, and we don't yet know exactly what it means, but to me, it really does signal that estrogen plays a role in our metabolism. There's, of course, indirect things that happen as well, such as lack of sleep, poor mood, or coping and eating large amount of carbohydrates that all can contribute to weight gain. And so there's probably both a direct and indirect reason why this consolation of either weight gain or creeping blood pressure or elevated col- cholesterol or changing in our A1C levels can happen. But if I do want you to keep a close eye on it, whether you're doing menopause naturally or if you are taking medications, but certainly if you're going through menopause naturally, this is a physiologic change that you can't directly see like you can feel a hot flash. Next, let's talk about your bone health. Remember that estrogen is extremely good for your bone health. Estrogen stops the cells that break down your bones. And so therefore, if they're not breaking down, that means they're building up. Bones are actually in a constant state of breaking down and building up. So estrogen overall is really protective. Now, certainly vitamin D and calcium are great to add, particularly after menopause. But vitamin D and calcium are to me, the building blocks of bones. So think about building a house. When you're building a house, you need raw material like wood and stone and bricks. And you also need a project manager to put all those things together. So think of vitamin D and calcium as the wood and the stones and the brick. And if you do need any other assistance for a low bone density, i.e. that's called osteopenia or osteoporosis, that's when you want to consider another agent, such as a bone medication, or if you have osteopenia, estrogen is also FDA approved to treat and monitor osteopenia. But if you're going through menopause naturally, what this just means is when you lose that estrogen, your bones lose that extra project manager, that extra little bit of a boost to the bone health. So I do recommend a bone density for my patients, particularly a few years after menopause, especially if you have a history prolonged steroid use, if you had an earlier menopause before age 40 or even between age 40 and 45, if you had surgical menopause because that abrupter loss of estrogen can affect the bones more drastically, if you have any family history of osteoporosis, or if you have any other type of reabsorption or malabsorption issue, 
if you have hyper or hypothyroidism, as well as some other endocrine disorders, which if you are followed by an endocrinologist, hopefully they are already making sure that you're having a bone density. But certainly for almost every woman, I can find a reason to get a bone density within a few years of menopause. Earlier onset of menopause, if you do have any of those additional risk factors. Certainly all women should take vitamin D and calcium because they are the building blocks, but they alone are not going to just be the sole protector that I think the society wants us to think that they are. You definitely want to be taking at least a thousand of vitamin D and a thousand of calcium. That's just an easy way to remember it, a thousand of both. And the best is to get calcium from your diet and vitamin D in supplements. So the next thing after metabolic syndrome is to think about your bone health. All right, so what's next? Well, let's talk about our mood. (laughs) Mood is really important at midlife, and I say this to my patients all the time, that it's really that sandwich part of your life where you are taking care of, if you have children, children, you are still driving them to college interviews or helping them with homework. You also have parents or elderly folks that you are either taking care of or sometimes even living with you. And you are at the peak of your career or you're moving to the peak of your career or you have a huge household to take care of, a partner and spouse you're taking care of, dogs, cats, the whole thing, you name it. Midlife is ripe for disruptions in our mental stability, in our mood basically. And at menopause, there's a physiologic change, a loss of estrogen that can play a role in our mood. And I want you to keep an eye out for that. That's something that you could certainly be journaling and tracking, as I mentioned before we got into all the things that you can't feel, but certainly you do want to take note of your mood. Things that are really common are either new onset of anxiety or depression, symptoms that you never had before, often seemingly causing trouble with sleep or the idea of not being able to turn off your brain. Those are red flags, I would say. Or if you have any history of anxiety, depression, PTSD, or OCD, they can really start to flare, meaning that your old coping skills or perhaps your previous use of medications or cognitive behavioral therapy are no longer working as effectively as they were before. This can mean that this is also a change in those physiologic hormones, and it is not necessarily your fault. You're not doing something wrong. Again, with all of menopause, there's a physiologic change when we lose our estrogen, sometimes as well our testosterone levels, that can cause these types of things that we can't feel or we can't necessarily see or that they get lost amongst the trees in the woods because of so many things happening concurrently in our busy adult lives. Make sure you are monitoring that and please feel free to reach out to a licensed therapist, a counselor, your internal medicine doctor, your OBGYN doctor, your family doctor, your nurse practitioner, your PA, anyone, if you are experiencing a sudden change in mood symptoms. Let's go on to vaginal health. So a really important change happens in our lower genitourinary tract, particularly the vagina, but not just the vagina. This also includes the bladder, the urethra, the labia, the perineum, 
This entire lower genitourinary syndrome is called genitourinary syndrome of menopause, or GSM for short. We previously called this vulvovaginal atrophy, but again, we changed it instead of saying vaginal atrophy to GSM because it involves more than just the vagina. When we lose our endogenous estrogen at menopause, there is many changes in the lower GU tract. First, the pH of the vagina changes, and that can increase the risk for urinary tract infections and as well as atrophy. At the same time, the cellular layer of the vagina that is making cells that produce lubrication for intercourse, making it elastic so that it can be able to have intercourse, that layer of cells or that cellular layer is really kind of sloughing off and is not being made any longer because it responds to estrogen, which your body no longer makes. The thing about the GSM or the vaginal atrophy changes that happen at menopause is they are persistent, meaning for some women, if they have hot flashes after time, they do go away. And this is because the receptors, those uh, little protein molecules in our brain that are looking for estrogen, eventually downregulate when they start to get the feedback that estrogen's not coming back. The problem in the vagina, though, is that the same thing does not happen. Without the loss of est- with the loss of estrogen, the tissue just undergoes significant atrophy. What this can show up as is painful intercourse or it can be frequent urinary tract infections, or it can be burning and pain, burning with urination that is not a urinary tract infection, or even just a feeling of sandpaper if you're sitting or standing. And this can certainly affect your quality of life. Now, I put this in the things that you can't feel when certainly you can feel these things, but there's just this pervasive notion that as you age, these are natural and there's nothing that you can do about them. And that is not necessarily true. There are certainly many things that you can do. Certainly, we are talking about natural menopause. So without the use of medications or hormones, you can certainly use over-the-counter lubricants or moisturizers. Both of these are really more band-aid in the sense that they're going to help perhaps with intercourse, but they're not going to change the underlying physiology. The only way to do that is with the use of vaginal estrogen. Now, vaginal estrogen, which I've stated many, many times, is extraordinarily, exceedingly safe. The estrogen that we use vaginally does not go systemically, so it carries no risks like systemic estrogen does. But again, if you are not going to use a vaginal estrogen or a commercially available medication, definitely think about the use of over-the-counter lubricants or moisturizers. I often also recommend Replend, Refresh, and you can also find those on my Amazon link. Those are great resources for vaginal health as well. If you can no longer tolerate intercourse because of pain or dryness, you certainly might want to think or rethink using products or prescription products. Another option, however, is also pelvic floor physical therapy, which can help for my patients who have high tone in the pelvis or vaginismus, which means stay out, stay away from me. If you feel like that might be you, then we could get you in to see pelvic floor physical therapy. And I'm getting into my next section here, which is sexual health. Sexual health changes are very common at midlife and menopause. 
And one of the things that I do with my patients is to make sure it's not pain. If there is pain, we certainly want to treat that first because without treating that, no matter what we do, if you feel the desire or the libido or the urge, but it's painful, you're still going to not, you're still not going to want to engage in that activity, right? I often tell my patients that the purpose of the sex drive is to reproduce. And at menopause, after we lose our estrogen or we've had children, our brain sort of says, you know what, I, I don't really need that to survive anymore, like I do food, shelter, and water. So it is natural that our libido will change. And many of my patients will say, I still find my partner really sexy. I love him or her. There's nobody else that I want to be with. And even if it's not painful, I'd rather just read a book or go on a hike. And that is normal. That does not mean that there's anything wrong with you, but certainly it can be an issue for women who miss that part of themselves or who do still take great pride in being sexually with their partner. So there are some natural things that you can do. We've talked about lubricants and moisturizers. I may have forgot to mention one of my favorite over-the-counter options, which is Uber Lube, also on the Amazon store, and a prior sponsor of this podcast. So thank you, Uber Lube. Certainly, we've talked about pelvic floor physical therapy. And then we want to now think about what about arousal and desire for women who are going through menopause naturally? A resource I'd love to point you to is Meet Rosie. In fact, I also have a podcast with the founder of Meet Rosie a couple episodes down if you scroll down. Rosie is an app that you can download, and there is so much there for women who have low desire or low libido. It's a great resource to use if you are, again, on that side of the fence where you don't want to or simply can't take or refuse to take medical options, commercially available medical options. So much of libido and desire is also testosterone. And as we go through menopause, women do lose their testosterone. So there are some natural changes. And again, I want you to know that you are not broken and this really can be normal. The other thing we know about sexual function is our brain makes little synapses, little connections. And one thing we do know is the longer you go without having sex or some other type of physical intimacy is those neurons that you do have do sort of start to wither away. And so as you find yourself willing to engage, especially if it's not painful, you're going to start to form more of those neuronal changes. And eventually you may naturally get the idea that, oh, well, this is a good time. I should do this more often. Yeah, this is really enjoyable. And that might be where you want to get yourself. Not that it's realistic to think you might be the same way as you were when you were 22, but certainly there are a lot of natural things that we can do to enhance our libido, our desire, and our arousal. Lastly, let's talk about brain health. Now, this one is still, I don't know if I want to say controversial, but there's still a lot to be learned about the postmenopausal brain. But in my opinion, in my medical opinion, I do think that estrogen plays a significant, important role in our brain functioning and in our brain health. For example, we know that for every one man diagnosed with Alzheimer's, there's four women diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And is that related to the loss of estrogen? Maybe. We are researching this and trying to see. There are some researchers looking at giving early estrogen replacement early after menopause to see if this improves brain function, improves 
cognitive outcomes, decreases Alzheimer's numbers, but those studies are going to take a very long time and we simply don't know that yet. But certainly I do think that the a role of estrogen on the brain is important. And as we lose the estrogen, we can potentially lose some really important cognitive functions. When you are going through menopause naturally, you want to just make sure you're keeping your brain really nice and healthy. And the best way to do that is to use it. Yep, use it. You knew that. And not only just using it if you're working, but mixing up the types of ways that you use it. Kind of like exercise, what P90X was for the body like 10 years ago is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, mix up the ways in which you use your brain. If you're an, a lawyer, if you're an attorney, if you're a physician, if you're a secretary, if you're a, a housekeeper, if you're a homemaker, if you're a, whatever you are, you kind of get into this flow of doing the same type of activities. And what I really want you to do to improve your brain function is to mix up the types of activities. Take up a new hobby. Many people take up learning a new language, crossword puzzles, Sudoku, anything like that. You could learn to sew, you could learn to play an instrument. There's so many ways, but all those things are really going to challenge your brain function and your brain health. Certainly make sure you talk to a physician if you notice any concerning signs in that change in cognition as brain fog is particularly common post-menopausally, but certainly does not mean that you already have signs of Alzheimer's or dementia. This really can improve and for those women who do experience it can be really scary. But again, keep working on all those brain games, those increasing your brain health, essentially. So thank you guys. Today, my mission was to go over natural menopause. You know, what are the things that if we are choosing or if we need to, or if we've inevitably going to go through menopause in the most natural way, i.e. without using, you know, commercially available products, what are the things that we want to think about and look for? And I classify those into two big chunks, things that you can feel and things that you probably can't feel or things that are just so ingrained in our society that are natural. I certainly do want you to know if you are suffering, you should consider the use of a commercial product only because it can actually help or it could be risky if you are suffering significantly actually without that. But there is no one menopause and there's no one way to be. And while I do talk a lot about the safety of hormone therapy, it doesn't mean that I think that that should be what everyone does. I actually think that a variety and the the researching almost every aspect of this is really, truly important. And I stand by that firmly. I want you to take care of your body, know that you are in charge, know that you are so intelligent and keep being proactive about your health. I thank you guys so much for listening to my podcast. It is truly a passion of mine and a hobby of mine to podcast about menopause while I'm also a full-time professor and a clinical instructor at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, where I see patients in my menopause and midlife clinic. I know I get a lot of questions about seeing patients. Currently, I can only see patients who live in the state of Massachusetts, I believe New Hampshire and Rhode Island, because of emergency telemedicine, um, state lines, uh, licensures that I have. But I would certainly love to hope to see many of you. I just also wanted to thank the sponsor for today's podcast, which is Rose Woman. And I really, really believe in all of their products and know this is an excellent company for you to consider.
Thank you guys so much for leaving reviews, stars, and all of those things on my podcast because it helps other women know and see this podcast so they can tune in and become members of the tribe. Thank you guys. Until next week. Bye.